Hey y'all, this is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, host of NPR's The Indicator from Planet Money, Stacey Vanek-Smith and Cardiff Garcia. All right, let's start the show. Hey y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners, to my guests. All of y'all are hearing some new music right now to open the show. It was made just for us by Nick Dupre. Nick, thank you so much. Uh, This new music for our show has been in the works for a while, and I'm happy to bring it to you all. Get used to it. Uh, As Betty said, we have two all-stars here this week. Joining us from some pretty impressive blanket forts in New York City, (laughs) Stacey Vanek-Smith, Cardiff Garcia, host of The Indicator. How are y'all? Good, Sam. We're hanging in there. Yeah, hearing Aunt Betty's voice made me feel like everything's going to be okay. Yes, yes. So y'all are several weeks into home recording. How are yeah. the home studios holding up? Literally by I... threads right now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm halfway into my closet uh, with a blanket draped over my head. Yeah, okay. I'm, on my, okay. I'm on my bedroom floor and I have like a my dining room chairs in a little uh, creating a little structure and I've draped this big comforter over it it's it's like a yurt (laughs) very DIY it's like an urban yurt (laughs) we are going to get to the news of the week which is this week those truly astonishing new unemployment numbers here in the U.S. Stacey and Cardiff because they cover the economy have been tracking all of that but first before we get there I want to share a thing that brought me some joy this week Um, It involves Dolly Parton. Chug, chug, chug. Puff, puff, puff. Ding, dong, ding, dong. The little train rumbled over the tracks. (laughs) She was a happy little train. Oh, isn't that beautiful? That is Dolly Parton. Dolly, yes. So because she loves us all and wants us to be okay, Dolly Parton has begun a nightly video series where she's reading children's stories, bedtime stories, for anyone who wants to watch. Um, Dolly's here to help. Dolly is yeah. the best. That's a really beautiful gesture. I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not sure this country deserves Dolly Parton, but I'm glad we've got her. Which celebrity would y'all pick to have read you bedtime stories? Actually, we've oh. already picked that celebrity. <laughs> it's Who? Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> uh, oh my God, Cardiff! Oh, do your Matthew McConaughey. Goodness. Cardiff does the most amazing yeah. Matthew McConaughey impression. Oh. It's so good. Oh, do it, do now, it. Now, now I'm on the spot here. Yeah, fine. It, it's more It's more an impression that I once saw Matt Damon do of Matt McConaughey, but it was something like, uh, uh, Sam, I, I think this would be a good time for me to take my shirt off, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> as close as it's going to get. That was good. <laughs> All right. We're going to pivot here. We're going to pivot real hard to unemployment. <laughs> yeah. To unemployment. Gotta talk yeah, that's, about that's it. a hard thing. Yes. yes. Each week I have my panelists start the show with three words describing their week of news. This week, as we know, the big news is unemployment. I want to just run through the stats really quickly. In the last two weeks now, it seems that some 10 million Americans have filed for unemployment, which means most likely even more have actually lost jobs. Uh, Last week, it was more than 6 million people filing. The week before that, it was over 3 million filing. In the last two weeks, by those numbers, all of the job gains from the last five years have been lost. It's astounding to me. So on that note, Cardiff, we're going to start with you and your three words, uh, which are about whether or not our current unemployment insurance program is actually ready for this moment. 
Yeah, my three words are what we owe. And I'm referring specifically to what those of us who are fortunate enough right now to be able to keep doing our jobs owe to the people that we have asked to sacrifice their jobs and their livelihoods to keep all of us safe. I mean, unemployment can be a really crushing experience and psychologically, emotionally. And on top of that, you have the financial stresses. I think right now we need to make sure that we're providing for them. And in terms of whether or not we're ready to do that, I think the answer clearly right now is no, but we're getting ready. My question for you, Cardiff, in a perfect world with the ideal system, what would our unemployment insurance program right now look like if it were totally what it should be in an economist's dream? Yeah, if I could design it from scratch, it would be a system that actually preserved the relationship between the workers and their companies and their employers. And so a system whereby effectively we would be paying companies to keep all of their workers on their books and the government would essentially subsidize their payrolls because that way, even during this time when people aren't working, they're still getting paid most, if not all of their salaries, but also it keeps that relationship in place so that after the public health crisis has passed, they can get right back to work as opposed to having a situation where you've got all these people on unemployment and then they're all going to be scrambling at the same time when it's over to get back to their jobs. And so it would combine keeping the relationship between workers and their companies and it would be providing enough assistance to the companies themselves that they also stay viable during this time so that there is a place for all these workers to go back to. Um, The ship has kind of sailed on that system. We would have had to start, you know, a couple of months ago. Um, So we're kind of settling for a second best approach now, which is to just provide a lot more compensation Mm. as part of of unemployment insurance. Yeah. yeah. You know, even though we've seen this close to 10 million figure for new unemployment filings in the last few weeks, there's still so many folks that haven't been able to file yet. We've heard about the backlogged phone lines and websites. Do we know yet if everyone who needs to file will be able to file? And how long will these hiccups last? You know, it's state by state, so it could be hard to say definitively, but is there any word on that front? Yeah, I mean, in all likelihood, some states are going to struggle to get this under control even within the next few weeks, and that's critical time, and it's really unfortunate. But the thing to keep in mind is that a lot of these states were underfunded, had underfunded their unemployment insurance systems even before the coronavirus pandemic hit. So in all likelihood, you're going to see a lot of states really start to staff up the people who run the unemployment insurance websites and the people who can process the claims, but they're way behind right now. So it is going to take some weeks. Yeah. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here this weekend with two guests, a a dynamic duo, Stacey Vanek-Smith and Cardiff Garcia, the two hosts (laughs) of NPR's daily economics podcast, The Indicator. Um, It has been a joy to hear y'all tackle this big story so wonderfully and so head on from literally blanket forts in your apartments in New York. (laughs) That's right. Stacey, you have three words about how employers are trying to survive this moment without, you know, just closing shop. Yes. So my three words are small business pivot. And 
you know, with all of these layoffs happening, also there are all of these small business owners all across the country who are desperately, desperately trying to figure out how to bring money in right now. Uh, a lot of them are trying to go online, figure out deliveries. And so at The Indicator, we talked to a couple of different businesses who have figured out a way to to try to start bringing revenue in. Uh, One was a distillery in New Orleans, actually the biggest distillery in the state. His name is Gordon Stewart. Um, His company is Porch Jam. And he was providing a lot of local restaurants and bars with gin and vodka and things like that. And, you know, all at once, all of the bars closed, obviously, because of social distancing. And so he figured out that he could make hand sanitizer in his distillery. That I guess the process is the same. The main ingredient in hand sanitizer is distilled alcohol. So oh he goodness. just pivoted his distillery. He like went to work like a mad scientist figuring out how to make hand sanitizer. <laughs> I mean, the businesses that can pivot, I think, are exceptional. Um, and even if they can pivot... Often the amount of money they're bringing in now is a fraction of what they were bringing in. A lot of businesses are not going to survive this, I think. It's just it's too much, you know, just like cutting businesses off from profits for, you know, a couple of months, three months, whatever it's going to be. That's a lot. Um, And in fact, you know, I think we're seeing I talked to um, a labor economist this week. And she predicted that we'll probably see about 20 million people Ooh. unemployed, which is about 16 percent uh. of the population. Uh, that's a, a conservative estimate, too. I mean, we've been seeing estimates of like 20 percent, 30 percent. The Great Depression unemployment hit 25 percent, just to give you an idea. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have what's possibly a dumb question on this point. When we think about whether or not these businesses can survive, stay afloat, if they bring back their old workers, a thing I can't figure out is what is the difference when a business says we're firing everyone or when they say we're going to furlough everyone? There's a distinction there, right? Does that determine what happens next in some kind of way? Yeah. So a furlough is essentially the same as being laid off, except that it's thought to be temporary. So people who are furloughed can still apply for unemployment benefits, and they absolutely should. But it's with the understanding that they'll be able to come back to their jobs, to the jobs that they left once the crisis has passed and these businesses can start hiring people again. But of course, a furlough doesn't help if, in fact, the business you work for ends up going going out of business if it, if it goes bankrupt. And what we know is that a lot of small businesses especially have very, very small cash reserves, typically less than a month's worth. And we're already several weeks into this thing. And so the help that's coming from the government is going to come probably too late for a lot of them. And also it may not be enough help. So when we talk about what they need to do in the next bill, it's going to probably include more generous package for businesses themselves. But there's no avoiding it at this point. We're just kind of too late. A lot of these places just aren't going to stay viable. And so that's going to make things really hard when the public health part of the crisis is passed and workers want to get back to work. Yeah. One possible bright spot This Friday is uh, the start of when small businesses can begin to apply for some relief loans uh, to help in this difficult time. So hopefully that process is helpful to a lot of folks out there. You know, we actually talked to someone this week who has been experiencing all of this firsthand. Dan, hi, how are you? Good, Sam. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. His name is Dan O'Brien. He lives in Wisconsin. We first heard from Dan because he sent in this lovely voice memo uh, about his eight-month-old daughter and how she was helping him get through the pandemic. 
But then a week later, Dan emailed us again with uh, a much more sad update. Yeah, so probably, I guess it was a few days after I left that message, uh, we found out that the ad agency that I work at had to lay off about half the staff. So I find myself for the first time in my life unemployed. You know, we'll be okay on money. Um, You know, we've got savings. We're fine. But the mortgage payment is going to get a little bit tricky. And then everything else kind of starts to get trickier and trickier after that. You know, you don't know how long this thing is going to last. And so we try to uh, figure out some of the normal things like, you know, unemployment. That's been kind of tricky because like all of the hospital system, the unemployment system has been really tricky to navigate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want you to walk me back to the moment when your employer lays off half the office all at once. How do you even do that? What was that scene? How and yeah. when did you hear? Well, we're all working from home, obviously. And I'm in the middle of a call with a client. And all of a sudden, I get a notification that says, you need to retype your email because your email, my email wasn't working. And then I got a text from a friend who's actually on maternity leave. And she said that she was laid off. And so I thought, well, I better check my personal email. And sure enough, letter from HR. You alluded to the unemployment system being kind of hard to manage right now because it's so overwhelmed in this moment. What has been your experience dealing with that system? Have you filed for unemployment yet? And if so, what's it been like? Yeah, so I went online and the first experience of just registering wasn't a problem. But because it was my first time and I wasn't getting walked through it by anyone, um, I had a hard time actually applying for that first week's benefits. And you can't call anyone because the second you call, it's busy each time you call. And then finally, if you get through once, you navigate through the uh, touch-tone system and then it tells you, we're experiencing larger than normal call volume, try back again later, click. Mm. What in this crazy time for everyone is getting you through right now? A song, a TV show, anything, food, drink. Well, we're making funny videos with the kids. This morning we did an April Fool's joke on their cousins where we stood in front of the TV with a beach background and pretended that we went to Florida. (laughs) And um, pictures of quarantinis and memes about Tiger King and all the things that are going on in the world that are keeping people occupied right now. Yeah. I tell you, one way to forget about everything else is to have a quarantini and watch some Tiger King. That'll take you out of this world real quick. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Hey, Dan, I really appreciate you sharing your story with me and our listeners. Uh, I look up to you for staying so strong in the midst of some big stuff happening right now. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks again to listener Dan O'Brien. Listeners, stay with us. Coming up, we're going to talk about all those musicians and DJs doing all those concerts and sets on Instagram Live. I know you've seen them. They are impossible to escape. After the break, we will tell you which ones are actually worth checking out. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor Discover. Did you know that Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically? With no limit to how much you can earn or how much they'll match. Plus, Discover is accepted at over 95% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when you use your Discover card, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2019 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. 
BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as isolation, depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment when you need professional help. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com minute to learn more and get 10% off your first month. Right now, every household in the country is being asked to fill out the U.S. Census. It's the form that helps us determine how voting districts are redrawn, where to build public schools and hospitals, how to spend federal money. So why are some people afraid to fill it out? We're getting into all that this week on NPR's Code Switch podcast. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined this weekend by the dynamic duo of Cardiff Garcia and Stacey Vanek-Smith, the two hosts of NPR's daily economics podcast, The Indicator. Hello. Hi. Sam. (laughs) How are you? So right now is a weird time for musicians. Because of coronavirus, they can't go on tour. There are no concerts. There are no meet and greets. Like the rest of us, they are stuck. But a lot of them have figured out a workaround on Instagram. Good morning, evening, friends. Is your friendly announcer. You've seen them by now, just about every musician you've ever heard of going on Insta, doing digital concerts. We're hearing now a bit of a concert that John Legend did on Instagram Live in the midst of the outbreak. And it's not just singers. DJs are spinning sets on Instagram Live. Some songwriters are playing around on Instagram Live and having songwriter battles as well. It's kind of a fun time. So I called up my friend and colleague, Sydney Madden. She's an editor at NPR Music. And she talked to me about what makes these online concerts and music battles and sets work and how coronavirus is fundamentally reshaping the music industry. Sydney Madden of NPR Music. Hi, how are you? I'm good. What's up, Sam? How are you? I'm doing good considering. Grateful every day, pushing through. Yeah. First, I want to talk about an interesting tidbit you shared with us that makes actually no sense to me. Apparently, in the midst of coronavirus, streaming of music is down. Yeah. Why in the world is streaming down? I would think it would be up because we're all at home right now. For me, if you really think about it, it does kind of make sense because a lot of these carefully curated playlists on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever streaming platform you prefer, they're really played in social settings. So that's bars, restaurants. Mm. These are the places where the playlists and continuous streaming really strive because it allows you to listen to music passively. But when people are taken out of those social situations, everything has to become more intentional. So I know for me, I'm really going back to the albums and the artists that bring me the most comfort. So that's people that, you know, my mom yeah. played growing up. That's Bob Marley. That's Sister Nancy. That's Billie Holiday. The music that has always brought you comfort is the thing that is making sense to a lot of people. Totally. So let's talk about the community online that I've been seeing so many artists lean into right now. So as we know, because of coronavirus, artists can't tour. Artists can't do concerts. So to fill in the gaps, a lot of musicians and DJs have been doing these Instagram live concerts. Perhaps the most famous of them have been like Coldplay and John Legend. But the DJs are doing it too. Folks like D-Nice. I've been seeing online battles between musicians and artists. 
I guess to the extent you can, because there's so much, can you give me a big picture of what these folks are doing and then like tell me your favorite two or three? Yeah, it's this kind of cool social phenomenon that we're seeing because it brings every artist that you've ever loved to your phone screen on demand whenever you want to see it. I love how you brought up the IG Live DJ producer battles, songwriter battles that are happening. DJ battles are intrinsic to hip hop culture anyway, but this live version of it and in the aspect of social media is definitely a new phenomenon that's taken on a lot of steam. I want you to explain more what this looked like. You know, there was this strange yet lovely songwriter battle this week. And a songwriter battle, just FYI, this is when these writers online have been playing their greatest hits back-to-back in rapid succession. And so this battle was between The Dream, this famous songwriter for folks like Beyonce, and Sean Garrett, who's written songs for everybody as well. And it was amazing. Yeah, it's so funny. It's like you get a front row seat to the culture at your fingertips. A lot of, um, I'll say, persuasive and influential fans online have compelled artists to come up with these matchups of either a beat battle, a songwriter's battle, producer's battle, whatever it is. And you mentioned the one between The Dream and Sean Garrett. There have also been really dope ones between Jonte Austin and Neo. Both very seasoned, very uh, acclaimed songwriters. The great things about this... It's kind of an effortless education for fans who maybe casually listen to hits by Neo or The Dream, but aren't really tuned into what their pen game has been for decades in the industry. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about another standout musical moment for me in this moment of social distancing. It's got to be D-Nice. He is this DJ who's been having these DJ sets online through his Instagram feed every night. The biggest ones have had more than 100,000 people showing up to Mm -hmm. watch with like celebrities like Oprah and Ellen. I mean, his music is good, but why do you think, Sydney, something like that is working so well right now? What's really special about D-Nice's sets is that it brings so many different people from so many different walks of life together. D-Nice is someone who's been, who's a very well-respected DJ and producer. He's been around since the 80s, since basically the birth of hip-hop. And so when he throws a party, he was actually one of the first people to coin the term club quarantine. And yeah, as you said, big names showed up. And the cool thing about that, the cool thing about Instagram Live is anytime anyone joins, it pops up. So as you see all these names scrolling, you see Oprah, Rihanna, you see Ellen. But it was really funny at one moment when Michelle Obama, the former first lady, showed up to the club and D-Nice had to stop what he was doing. He was like, whoa, we have Michelle Obama in the club, everybody. This is just crazy. But we're going to play something for Michelle. Michelle, this is for you. And he did a shout out. What's up, Michelle? As if we were really all about to pop bottles and get on the dance floor because Michelle Obama's there. Yeah. Well, because it's like I had it on this past weekend cooking food, etc. And before you know it, when he would shout out all these celebrities coming, I'd be like, oh my goodness, what's up, Oprah? As if I'm actually here with them. Like I really got caught up in it. Yeah. All right. Last question for you. 
Who do you most want to see musically get online and do something? A concert, a DJ set, a battle? Who are you waiting for to see? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. See, I don't think this will actually happen because I'm sure the Carters are on some compound on Mars or something. But (laughs) I would really love to see, you know, I would love to see my Lord and Savior, Beezus, Beyonce, at a piano. Listen, listen. I want to see her do an entire acoustic set yes. of Lemonade. Yes. Like top to bottom. <gasps> oh, my gosh. I Wouldn't just started, it be beautiful? I just started salivating. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that would be crazy. Oh, man. Beyonce, if you're out there listening, help us in this moment. Give us a concert. Absolutely. I'll be watching. The world needs it, B. We need yes. it. Sydney, <laughs> thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks again to Sydney Madden of NPR Music. Check out her weekly feature on our website called Heat Check. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. When we come back, we'll play my favorite game, Who Said That? Support for this podcast comes from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. When the economy goes haywire and you need a podcast to turn to, Planet Money is here for you. Are we already in a recession? There's no question that we are about to enter a period of substantial slowdown in the economy. Listen to NPR's Planet Money, emergency podcasts whenever the news demands it. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined by Stacey Vanek-Smith and Cardiff Garcia, the two hosts of NPR's Daily Economics podcast. It is time, y'all, for my favorite game, Who Said That? Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? So what is it like when the two contestants in this game work together so closely? Do you see yourselves as like a dynamic duo or are you actually going to fight to the death with this one? <laughs> no, no. I feel like Stacy can finish all of my sentences. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Nailed it. <laughs> so that means for this game, both of you will answer together. I, exactly. I hope so because Stacy's way more hip than I am. So uh, That is so untrue, but thank you. I could use the help. I am definitely not more hip than Cardiff. Uh, you heard his Matthew McConaughey. I mean, <laughs> that's true. I've been working that's on true. it for 12 years. Nailing it. So this game is very simple. I share three quotes from the news this week. You got to tell me who said it, or at least tell me what the story is about. There are no buzzers. Just yell out the answer. The winner, per usual, gets absolutely nothing. Here's the first quote. I was a student at Northwestern University, and I don't know. They had scouted me at school. I got called down to a casting agent. They handed me the thing, and I was auditioning for the part of, was the character named Screech? Who said that? Dustin Diamond? No, someone else. What? Somebody else played Screech? Some other famous guy revealed that years ago he auditioned for Screech. It's got to be somebody who looks Screech-like. We actually have a little bit of tape from this person talking about the whole experience. Imagine how that character ended up in broadcast. I did yeah. my audition and they said to me, um, there's a term you're going to want to need to know about as a professional. It's called over the top. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, just went, you just went over the top. Do y'all know that voice? It's a famous late night host. Seth Myers? 
It's not Seth Meyers. It's not Jimmy Kimmel. Colbert. I'm mouthing the word to you. I know. I can't read your lips. Oh, Stephen Colbert? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. We actually said it at the same time. (laughs) So he auditioned for a Screech-like character, huh? Yeah. So this week on his show, Stephen Colbert revealed that Many, many moons ago, he auditioned for the part of Screech in Safe by the Ooh. Bell. He didn't get the role, obviously. It probably worked out for the best because I like I him doing what he's doing good. now. Right? So um, he actually was talking about this whole process with Ryan Reynolds during his show. And Reynolds seemed to be very shocked by this piece of intel. Yeah, no, I know. You know. Anyways, that first point is going to both of y'all. Sure, why not? We'll take it. I don't know if we earned it, we'll but take we'll, it. Take we'll take it. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> Next quote. Everybody's been shut down. The only reason why I didn't shut the justice down is because, hey, she ain't having it. Who said that? Someone who works closely with a justice. I thought I was going to say Trump, but I can't imagine him say she ain't having it. No, (laughs) this is someone that works with one individual justice on a personal basis who might have shut down their usual weekly or daily activity because of health guidelines. Is this RBG's trainer or something? Yes, yes. Yeah. So this week, Bryant Johnson, the personal trainer to Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, talked about how even in the midst of coronavirus, he is still training the 87-year-old's justice. He says that all of the workout equipment is being sanitized. He's practicing social distancing with RBG. um, And he says that they're so in sync with their routine that there's no need for them to be closer than six feet. But um, they're not stopping. RBG is still working out. And given that she's still doing that at, what was it, 87 You know, it really puts to shame, like, all of our excuses for why we're not keeping in shape, even though we're stuck at home. Oh, yeah. All right. This final quote makes me laugh. I have not laughed this much in a while. Um, This story is bananas. The quote is, (laughs) the quote is, I was so confused as to why I was a potato. Of all the things I could be, why a potato? Oh, I know there's like a CEO who was on a Zoom call and accidentally turned herself into a potato and like couldn't switch it back, right? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Have y'all seen this? God bless Zoom. No. No. As I describe this for you, just Google potato video conference. Just Google that because I want you to see it. This quote comes from... Lizette Ocampo, she's the political director at People for the American Way. So in a Zoom online happy hour, she used some fun filters. uh, But after the happy hour was done, she couldn't switch her filter back for the actual work (laughs) meetings. So she told BuzzFeed, Monday morning we had our meeting and I usually do a camera. And when we began the meeting... I saw myself as a potato, she said, and she couldn't change it. Do y'all see it? Is it not bananas? It's amazing. It's a potato with a face. And for the whole (laughs) meeting, she couldn't get rid of it. (laughs) All right. That concludes Who Said That for this week. Stacey, you really won that one. You did. I mean, although you and Cardiff are a dynamic duo, you both really won. But Stacey, you get the crown. (laughs) This is actually like quite a prize. I'm, I'm feeling good. I might turn myself into a potato. Do it. I want to see it. Please. <laughs> potato yourself. All right, now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week, we ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They do. 
Janae, hit that tape. Hi, Sam. This is Cade. And the best thing that happened to me this week was finding a pet tortoise in the street. And we named him Timmy. Uh, and then two days later, we found his real owner. And, and we found out his real name was Henry. Hey, Sam. I'm Ashley. I'm Michael. The best part of our week was that we moved back, back to, to Arkansas. Arkansas. Best part of my week was pulling up to a big empty parking lot where all of my friends had parked in a big circle with happy birthday posters, balloons, and flowers. Hi, Sam. This is Kayla from Butte, Montana. The best part of my week is that this morning we woke up to signs all over our town that say, believe in Butte. I guess somebody in the middle of the night decided that we needed to pick me up from our windows, and I really appreciate it. Hi Sam, this is Betsy in Maryland. The best part of my week was hearing my little boy say, I love you for the first time. He's three. I woke up on Saturday morning to his little face and mine, him saying, Mama, I love you so much. And his name is Sam. Thanks for your show. Stay safe. Thanks for your show. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Have a great week. Bye. Even in the midst of a global pandemic, there is still joy. I like Aww. that. I love the escaped tortoise. Yes, yes. Thanks to those listeners, Betsy, Kayla, Aubrey, Ashley, and Michael, and Cade. Listeners, want to hear from you as well. Share the best part of your week at any point throughout any week. Just record yourself onto your phone and then email that file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. Thank y'all both for hanging this week. Stacey Vanek-Smith and Cardiff Garcia, the two hosts of NPR's daily economics podcast, The Indicator. Everyone hearing my voice, go check out that podcast. This was fun. All right. As always, thanks to the fine folks that are some of the best parts of my week every week, the team that makes this show. This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Janae West, Anjali Sastry, Andrea Gutierrez, and Hafsa Fatima. Our fearless editor is Joanna Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss, NPR's senior VP of programming, is Anya Grund. As I mentioned earlier, we have new theme music for the show that was composed by Nick Dupre. Listeners, till next time, thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stay home. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon.